um, has asked me to speak a bit about mission um, and the nations. Uh, and so we're going to look at this today, and we're going to do it in a bit more of a Turkish style maybe than you're used to. We're going to start in the Garden of Eden, and we're going to end in the great city in the renewed creation um, in Revelation. And we're going to look at um, the ideas of God's expanding kingdom, how God's kingdom is expanding and growing into the world, the, the ideas of God's presence um, with us and in the world, and also the idea of the river of God bringing blessing, bringing the Spirit, bringing renewal. So we're going to look at that, and I'm going to share lots of stories of different people that have um, had different experiences in our church. Okay, you up for that? Okay, great. So our story begins in the garden. God created this amazing garden, luscious, beautiful green garden out of the chaos that was in the world. And often I think we can think of the Garden of Eden as being the whole world or being like heaven or something like that. But actually, um, it's interesting. It says uh, in, in Genesis, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So Adam and Eve were commanded, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So their commission was not just to stay in the garden, they were to go out of the garden and to bring the blessings and the, the beautiful plants um, to the different parts of the world and to, to, to go out and to bring God's presence almost and God's blessing and God's renewal into other parts of the world. God says, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And this is still our calling, in short. This is still the calling of the people of God, to take the blessing that we have and to take that out into the world, which is a, a spiritual wilderness where people don't know God. And Eden was kind of a sacred space. It was God's presence was there. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. He was with them, um, and there was the tree of life there as well. And also, something I don't know if you've, if you've noticed before, but in, in Genesis, um, in, in Genesis 2, it talks about a river which was running through the garden. So it says it was one river, and then it split into four to water the four corners of the earth. Um, and so this river is kind of symbolizing God's presence, God's, as we'll see later, God's spirit, and God's renewing, bringing life to the garden and life to the, all over the world. But as we know, our forefathers, they, they sinned, they rebelled against God, and almost to protect them, they had to leave the garden. So uh, my wife does um, some sort of pottery stuff, Turkish um, pottery, and I know in uh, Pool and Bournemouth there's quite a tradition of, um, of, of pottery and clay manufacture. And um, I don't know if you know, but if you, uh, if you have a, a bowl that you've made or a, a plate or something out of clay, you put it in the kiln, which is really hot, and it fires it, and out comes a lovely bowl. But if there's a small impurity, if there's a small kind of air bubble or something in it, in the, in the heat of the kiln, it'll just explode and it'll be ruined. And so that was why our forefathers had to leave Eden. That was one of the reasons why, because they were now impure. They'd rebelled against God. They couldn't be in the, the, the presence of God any longer for their own protection. They had to leave. And it's very interesting. It says um, in Genesis 3, it says two things. It says God placed cherubim on the east of the garden to stop people from coming back in. Now, I don't know about you, we often, maybe if you've seen like artwork or stuff, you think of cherubim, the little baby angels or something like that with the wings. But actually, we'll have a look at these cherubs through the Bible because they've got a very interesting role. They, they, they kind of act as the gateway, as the protection between people and God. So God put a cherubim, uh, 
<coughs> put some cherubs there, and it was on the east side of the garden, which is also important. We'll come back to that later. And obviously then there's the story of the flood. And after that, um, Noah's descendants are listed in Genesis 10. There's a table, and it has um, all of the descendants of Noah and where they spread out. And there's 70 nations listed there. And so for the Jews, the number 70 represented symbolically all of the nations in the world. And so when uh, maybe two, three hundred years before Jesus, the Jews came and they said, we want everyone to be able to read the Old Testament, the story of Israel, they um, translated it into Greek, which was the trade language, like English, um, and they called it the Septuagint, which means 70, because they say it took 70 scholars, 70 days to translate it, and it was for the 70 nations. It was for everyone to find out about God. And this number 70 is also important, and we'll come back to that in a bit. But of these 70 nations that spread out throughout the world, God chose one person, Abraham. And he called Abraham. Abraham was actually in Turkey when he was called, in the east of Turkey. Uh, you can go to his hometown today. And he was called to leave his nice house and everything in it. And God said, go, and then I'll show you where you're meant to be going. And so Abraham obeyed God, and he left and he went into a kind of wilderness, and God said, I'm going to show you a promised land where your descendants are going to inherit. And Abraham said, descendants? Me and my wife have been trying for kids for 80 years, and we've got no kids. How can we have descendants? But God said, I will give you as many descendants, as many heirs, as the number of grains of sand on the seashore, as the number of stars in the sky. And he, so he didn't look fruitful. He didn't look like he'd been obeying the original calling of being fruitful and multiplying. But in time, God blessed him with a son, with Isaac. And through that, um, the whole people of Israel came out. A couple of hundred years later, they were in um, Egypt. And the book of Exodus, the story of the book of Exodus begins like this. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, just as God had commanded in the beginning increased in numbers and become so numerous, the land was filled with them. Okay, so they're bringing this kind of the Garden of Eden thing into this Egypt where they're living as slaves, effectively. And the Egyptians were afraid. They thought, well, maybe they'll try and do political unrest and they'll try and take over this land from us. So they oppressed them and they oppressed them. But God rescued them miraculously, as you can read about in Exodus. He saved them from Egypt and he brought them to a mountain. He said, I've saved you now. Do you want more of this? Do you want more blessing? Do you want to follow me? Do you want to um, be an example of what it looks like to be a chosen people, to be a blessed nation to all the other nations? Do you want to reflect me to the world? And they said, yes, we do. Yes, we do. And so God gave them um, some laws. And through this, they were meant to be showing what an amazing life with God can look like. And we know they didn't live up to this, but there was also the temple that God gave them, and the tabernacle first, and then the temple. Inside that, there was a room called the Holy of Holies, which only one person could go into once a year. And that was kind of like where the presence of God was on earth. So it was meant that Israel was meant to be taking this presence and beauty and glory of God and taking it out into the world like our forefathers, Adam and Eve, were meant to be doing from the garden. And they were also meant to be taking all of the problems of the world 
and bringing them to God and saying, God, can you solve this problem? Can you help this nation? They, that, that was the job of Israel. They were meant to be kind of like a bridge between God and between the nations in the world. And it's really interesting. The Holy of Holies, it says, if you read in, um, uh, in Exodus and, and some of those books, it says it was on the east side of the temple. And the, get, the, 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 the entrance to it was a big curtain covered in cherubs. And inside, and they were sort of protecting the way to God, just as they had in the Garden of Eden. And inside, there was a, a chest, the Ark of the Covenant. And on each side of that, there was a cherub guarding the way to God, symbolically. So, over time, Israel really failed. They were meant to be an example nation, showing what it looks like to be blessed and to be fruitful and to be multiplying and to be living in the presence of God and growing in him day by day. But over time, they kind of became infighting and bickering and divided and they went following other things and they, 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 they really didn't live up. So when other nations looked at them, they were meant to say, wow, this is what it looks like to follow God. How could, can we join in? We want to be, we want to have this blessing. We want to follow God. But actually they said, if that's what God's like, we don't want anything to do with it. But then Jesus came and it says in, in John, very famous verse, it said, God made his temple among us. So in the old days, the temple was this place where God's blessing dwelled. It says now that's Jesus. He wasn't having to be protected by all of these things. He was in the world. He was going out to people. He was healing people. He was bringing God's kingdom, bringing God's presence to people. And then Jesus, it says uh, in Luke 10, says Jesus appointed 70 others. Some translations it says 72, some it says 70. But I think 70 is important here because it's the number of the nations. He takes his 70 of his disciples and he sends them out. He says he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out, and then a very strange saying, like lambs among wolves. What is that? I mean, if you put some lambs out and some wolves, the wolves are going to kill the lambs and eat them. So you get dead lambs and happy wolves. <laughs> That's a bit of a strange thing for Jesus to say, isn't it? As he's just commissioning them to go. And then he says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Then it says, the 72, or the 70, returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, Jesus says. So what do we get from this? Our job we need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. We need to see the brokenness that's in this world and be saying, God, come, send people to do it. What can I do by myself about all of these refugees in the world, about all of this um, sexual abuse in the world, about all of this depression in the world? I can't do much myself. God, please be merciful. Please send people to the world. Please send your power to the world to heal and restore it. 
Jesus also says we need to proclaim the good news. We speak in Jesus' name. He says, whoever, um, whoever listens to you, it's like he listened to me. Whoever rejects you, it's like he rejects me and rejects God. We're speaking with the authority of Jesus. Whenever we're sharing Jesus' words, people's response to us is not to us, it's to Jesus. So that gives us a security when we're sharing with people. And then he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. But then he says, I've given you authority to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Jesus protects us spiritually. Jesus says he will protect us. And we've seen this many times um, in Turkey. So uh, there's a lot of um, the occult in Turkey. There's a lot of um, folk Islam, a lot of kind of um, some of these uh, bad spiritual things. So a lot of people come from that background. And when they start searching about Jesus, um, oftentimes lots of people in our church have had this experience. They wake up in the night and it's like they're being strangled by this dark spiritual power. And then they say, and I, I was just hopeless. I thought I was going to die. But then I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. And they cried out to Jesus. And said, suddenly the room was filled with light. And whatever the thing was that was trying to strangle, strangle me had to, had to flee. And Jesus came and saved me. And we have loads of stories like that of Jesus coming and um, just breaking these, these bonds, breaking the spiritual authority of the devil. Because Jesus, his name is greater than any other name. And then, as we know, Jesus died and came alive again. And um, as Mary Magdalene bent down and looked into the tomb, it's a very strange scene. It says, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. This is kind of like in the Holy of Holies where there were two angels, two cherubs on top of the ark guarding the way to God. She sees this. And they say, what are you looking at? There's nothing here. She turns around and she sees someone who she thinks is the gardener. Which he kind of is because he was there in the Garden of Eden tending to it, wasn't he? He says, Mary, he's in the world. The risen Jesus is no longer in this kind of holy of holies. He's no longer having to protect us from him. Because anyone who wants can come to Jesus. And actually when we come to Jesus, he fills us with his spirit, as we'll see. Um, Jesus, uh, and it's interesting, cherubs are never mentioned after this in the Bible because there's no need. There's no need for a, a, a block between God and people anymore. And we see now the church is kind of, it's meant to do the same job as Israel were, were commissioned, was commissioned to do. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow out of them from within them. So like in the garden at the beginning, there was a river that was bringing blessing and renewal to the whole world. Jesus says, anyone who believes in Jesus has this river within them and it's bringing blessing through them, blessing to them and blessing through them to the whole world, he says. And on Pentecost and in the Great Commission, people were filled with the Spirit and then... They were sent out. The day of Pentecost, people came from all over the world and they were filled, all the different nations, and they were filled with the Spirit and went back to their home places. And Jesus said, you need to go to the Jews and then to the Sumerians, which are kind of half-Jews, and then to all the ends of the world and bring my blessing, bring my joy, bring my truth. And it's amazing, this 
kind of the streams of living water. One of the first people to come to faith in our church, um, he came into the office one day and he said, I'm an alcoholic, um, and, uh, but I've always respected Jesus. Can you tell me more about this? Because I've been going to Alcoholics Anonymous and they've been talking about higher power. I want to find out about this higher power. Can you explain it to me? And so eventually he came to faith and he said, you know, all my life I had this emptiness inside me, this spiritual emptiness. I was trying to fill it with alcohol and drugs and sex and he was covered in tattoos and everything. He had some hell's angels come to his baptism because he was part of that kind of Harley Davidson hell's angels sort of thing. Um, but he said, now I've found Jesus. He's, he's totally satisfied me. I don't have these longings for these other things anymore because Jesus is satisfying me. And the church, as the church, we are God's people, it says. We are God's priests. We're like Israel, and we've got the same responsibilities to be bringing the blessing of God to the world and to be bringing the um, issues of the world to God. We're meant to be the bridge between God and between the nations, between the world. Just after we started the church, we had a lady come, and um, we were speaking very bad Turkish, and um, we were singing some, some quite Western songs, I guess, but translated into Turkish, and we, I don't know, we were clapping or something. And she was out with some friends afterwards, and she was kind of, they said, oh, we've heard you went to church, what was it like? And she started mocking us. She said, oh, they speak bad Turkish, they sing funny songs, it's a bit crazy, really. But that night, Jesus came to her in a dream, and he said, he showed his hands and the, um, uh, the, the nail marks on them, and he said to her, do you think this hurt? She said, yes. He said, I suffered for you. Don't mock my church. We are the people of God. We, 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 we are protected by God. And that was so encouraging for us just after we'd started um, our church in Istanbul. And the church is expanding. We're sent out all over the world. Every country in the world, every place in the world, there are Christians meeting on Sundays, aren't there? There are believers in God. There are people praying to God for all the areas in the world. Some places are harder, some places are easier. But God is working through the church, through us, the people of God. He's working throughout the world. And in the final day, there's some pictures in Revelation of what it looks like. It says, John saw, before me was a great multitude. You see, we have at the beginning, God commands increase, be fruitful, multiply. And at the end, he says, there was a great multitude that no one could count, more than the grains of sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky that he promised Abraham. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And um, we had a lady who's come along to a toddler's group at church, and she saw we had a, a flyer for an alpha course um, just to explore the basics of Christianity. And she said, oh, I've always been interested. Can I come along? So we said, yeah. So she came along to that. She came along the Sunday, and she was asking all these questions that many, many Muslims um, have. She was saying, isn't Jesus just a prophet? Aren't there four Bibles? I've heard Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Which one's the right one? Um, what, hasn't it been changed and stuff? Um, and then she came along a second Sunday. And at the end of that meeting, she said, actually, I don't understand all of these things you're talking about, but this feels so right. 
I want to know Jesus. I've been praying to God all my life, and now I realize I've actually been praying to Jesus. I just didn't know who I was praying to. Um, and so I went to the church office with uh, another couple of ladies, with, with my wife, and we prayed for this lady. Um, and after we'd prayed and she said, yes, I want to follow Jesus, I asked, how do you feel? And she said, it's been like, it's, I feel like I've been clothed in white, like I'm pure. That's what John says here, isn't it? They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then at the end of the story, in the final chapters of Revelation, there's this new city of God. But there's also, like with Eden, there's also an outside to it. It says, the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will, it, will its gates ever be shut. The glory and honor of nations, the whole world, will be brought into it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. The river, again, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of the God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of that city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So even in the new creation, there's this great picture. There's the city, the place where God dwells, the people of God. But there's also an outside and I think there our job is going to be to take these leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations and take them to all the people outside. They're all people that have believed in Jesus, that have come to faith, but there's so much brokenness in this world, isn't there? There's so many wars and issues between countries and between different people groups. And in some sense, in Revelation, there's still going to be this job that we have to do, which is going to be bringing the healing and the peace and the reconciliation from the center where God dwells that's nourished by this river of life and bringing these leaves to the nations for their healing. And we can be doing this now as well, of course. This is part of our job. This is part of the church. So that's the story of mission and the nations through the Bible, from the garden to the end, to the city, the new creation. So we've looked at the themes of God's expanding kingdom, how it starts with just two people in a garden. They're commanded, be fruitful and multiply. And then there's the 70 nations that go throughout the world. And then there's um, the many people that come to faith in this age. And then at the end, there's the multitude that no one can even begin to count of people following Jesus and saved. God's kingdom will expand from the, 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 the small garden to the whole world will expand to the whole world. It's promised in the Old Testament in Habakkuk. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It promises one day my kingdom will be over the whole earth. For the moment, yes, there's Christians everywhere, but there's also a big spiritual um, uh, dimension, a big area that doesn't accept Jesus. And our job is to be bringing the glory and the presence and the Spirit of God to these areas. This is not a physical thing. It doesn't mean you have to go to the ends of the world. There's, there's many people that don't know Jesus in Bournemouth and Poole, aren't there? There's many neighbors, many people in our families that don't know this. And then we've seen God's presence starting in the garden and then having to be kind of contained by the cherubs in the Holy of Holies. And then Jesus himself, the full presence of God, coming amongst us and going back to the Father and his presence now living in us. One day we will be filled with the presence of God in the new creation. The whole world will be filled with the presence of God. 
And then the water, so the water starting in the Garden of Eden, nourishing the world, bringing life to it, and then being poured out by Jesus into our hearts, these streams of living water which bring life to us and are meant for others as well. And then the stream in the new creation which is bringing healing and life to the nations. So that's the story of the Bible. I just want to bring a few application points to us here because it's amazing, isn't it, when we look at God's plan in creation. But where's our part? I think the main thing is, how is, our, how is our life, how is our church distinctive? The problem with Israel was they were meant to be something really attractive to, to God. They were meant to be, all the nations looked at them and they said, we want to be like this. Tell us how we can be like this. But so often people look at the church and they say, oh, child abuse and hypocrisy and whatever. What do people think when they look at us? What do people think when they look at our lives, when they look at Gateway? Do they think, yeah, this is something I want to be a part of. There's something new and, 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 and blessing and God's presence with you and I want to join. So we have people in our church, pretty much everyone who comes to our church, Turkish people are so spiritually sensitive and spiritually aware. Everyone who comes in says, there's something about you. What is it? Everyone's so happy and, and there's like this good aura, this good energy, this good electricity, because they haven't got the words to explain what it is. You say, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. Can we pray for you? We have people from our church, um, when they've come to faith, they're out on buses and people just randomly come up to them in the streets and say, there's something about you. Your face is like it's, it's shining. How can I have this hope and this joy that you seem to have that's just not around in the world? And we go out and we're meant to be saying, well, how can I be praying for you? How can I be bringing your, your things to God? Maybe you'll come to know him through this. Maybe God will want to bless you through this. Also, I think wherever we are, we are on mission. And the, when Jesus sent out these 70 or these 72, it's very interesting. It says he sent them ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. He didn't send them to the ends of the earth. He sent them to the next town and the next town where he was going to go anyway. So we don't just need to go to far places. How can we be bringing these, this, this blessing that we have, this water, this living water that we have, to our workplaces, to our families, to our schools, to our neighborhoods, to our streets. The amazing thing about Bournemouth is there's so many international language schools. You don't have to go out to the nations. The nations come here, don't they? I've got many friends that have said, oh yeah, I spent six months in Bournemouth learning English. Just go to them and, and maybe they'll get something of this and take it back to their hometowns. But maybe some people are called to go further. God is working everywhere in the world. Uh, I was at a, a meeting with David Devonish just this last week. He's just come back from China. He says, in China, 10,000 people a day come to know Jesus. But that's not enough because the population is growing quicker than that. We need more workers to go out, more people to go and tell people about Jesus there. There's a great book called A Wind in the House of Islam, um, which I really recommend, but it says... Um, in the Islamic world, Jesus is working more than ever before, it seems. Since the year 2000, so 18 years, more, more Muslims have come to know Jesus than in the entire history of Islam before that, in the entire 1,600 years before that. Jesus is working in the nations amongst different peoples. And I think we need to remember, everywhere we go, people are lost. There's so much hopelessness, despair, um, there's, so, there's people try and fill it with all different ways, don't they? But everywhere we go, 
people need Jesus. Um, we had, uh, and, and, and there's so many opportunities for this. I mean, Jesus is, um, uh, in, in our church, many people see dreams um, as a kind of prompt to go to church. We had a lady um, over the summer. She said, 30 years ago, I saw a dream, and I've been asking people ever since, what does it mean? But no one can tell me. What do you think it means? So she said, I, in this dream 30 years ago, I saw a big white horse, and on it there was a big man dressed all in white, and he had a sword in his hand. And around him were thousands of people, all dressed in white, following him. What does it mean? And so the guy leading the prayer meeting she was at said, well, this sounds like Revelation. And she read out, he read out the bit in Revelation 19. She said, yes, that's who I saw in my dream 30 years ago. And she came to know Jesus that night. She'd been searching for so long. Uh, we had another lady. Um, she was in the UK 10 years ago or so. She came into a, just a normal Anglican church or a cathedral. And she said, when I came through the door, I just burst out crying. Um, I just felt this energy, and I thought from then on, I'm going to be a Christian, but I didn't do anything about it. Um, it says she didn't go to church, she just said, I'm a Christian. She didn't read the Bible, she didn't know anything about it, but she'd felt the power of God, and she never shared it with anyone. And then nine years later, she was um, pregnant, and she said, well, I'm going to have a child. I want to know how to, to, to bring him up as a Christian, so I guess I need to learn what it means. Can I come and join you? She said... We have so many people on the internet as well. Um, there's, a, there's a website that gives out um, free Christian e-books just in Turkey where there's maybe 5,000 believers. In the past four years, over 600,000 of these books have been downloaded by people eager to know about Jesus. There's so much desire. There's so many people that are lost and they're willing to try anything. Maybe they'll even try Jesus. How do we know when we're speaking to someone? How can we be asking them and be praying for them? Because our calling is to be faithful to God. He will provide the growth at the end of the day. Jesus tells the story of the, um, the sower who goes into the field and he scatters his seed everywhere. And some of it kind of grows and then dies. Some of it's eaten straight away. And a quarter of it, in his story, becomes good and bears fruit. And that's enough for the sower. That means that he's got enough to live on. And in the, um, in the Old Testament... God says through Isaiah, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. So our role is to go into the world. We scatter the seed that God's given us. We show the blessing. We, 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 we pray for people with the Holy Spirit. We give something of this water, this living water that Jesus has given us. And God's going to God's going to give the growth. We can't make anyone a Christian. It's only God that can do that. And it's interesting, this lady who um, was, having, was having a son, um, we baptized her maybe five months ago, and then she stopped coming to church. She had a very difficult um, court case and some things going on in her life. But then just before Christmas, um, uh, just on the, I think it was the 23rd or something, Jesus came to her in a dream, and he showed her the church, all decorated in flowers, one of our Turkish guys was at the door with a big smiling face and a Bible in his hand, welcoming her back into the church. So she phoned him the next day and she said, I've seen this dream, I'm coming back to the church. Jesus, we, we, we were worried about her, we were praying for her, we were trying to get in touch, but she didn't want to take our calls. But Jesus came to her and said, no, you need to go back to the church. So this is our testimony, really. We, 
we just try and be faithful. God said to us, go to Turkey. So we went to Turkey. But it's God that's providing the growth. It's God that's making the seeds fruitful, making the soil fruitful. And he wants to do that here as well. Amen.